0: Today's guest, Aki Friedrich. If I look back at it, I think um,
1: I, I still know a lot of examples, moments when I spoke to uh, um, one of my leaders and I had these aha moments like, oh dear, that's what I need to do, or this is how I can look at it differently. And what I would say as well, it's not always the direct leader that you have, but you know, somebody that leads in a certain field or that you relate to. It could even be a peer or a mentor or whatever it might be. Um, but I think it's, it has a huge impact on, on your journey. And whenever I was successful, I had great leaders. That's
0: what I can say for sure. <laughs> Aki and I met at TaxFix where he led learning and development and I was an interim manager through PeopleWise My Company and Restructured Talent Acquisition. And we talked about meditation learning concepts in schools versus at the workplace, the impact of your managers or manager in and learning and your learning curve, basically. And we also talked about his time as a musician um, when he worked at Apple and how he transitioned into the startup world and setting up compensation structures, strategies. And he's now leading learning and development or called learning experience at a remote-only company called Superside. Enjoy. Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain it's situations. very, 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 very hard to change that. That was the learning.
1: Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side.
0: Hi, Aki. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Tell us a bit more about yourself.
1: Uh, yeah, well, it feels like an interview, <laughs> like a job interview. <laughs> yeah, you, you also have a lot of cameras I'm not prepared here prepared for this.
0: <laughs>
1: no, I'm Aki, um, and yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm working in learning and development. I recently joined a new company called SuperSide just four weeks ago, actually, so it's really new. And before that, I worked at Taxfix, a scaler from Berlin, and that's also where we met. Yes. Um, so I worked there for two and a half years, I think. And even before that I I had a little break, a time off, um period to spend with my family a few months. And uh before that I was working at Apple retail for seven years. Yes. Which seems like like a long time for at least for people in scale ups, it's (laughs) like (laughs) seems like three lives. Um And yeah, but but originally I'm a musician by training, so I studied music in university. That's so cool. Yes, Um, and worked also as a musician for a few years. So, what is a
0: musician doing? What is it? (laughs) No, (laughs) because a good question. (laughs) uh, When I look it up on LinkedIn, it Mm -hmm. says music producer and soloist. What Mm -hmm. what's that? Yeah.
1: Um, So basically, there were two parts to it. One part is producing music in a computer, in a studio um, for short films or commercials, whatever it might be. And the other part is that in university, I studied saxophone, so an instrument that basically played in bands and orchestras. I
0: always want to organize a party where there is a saxophonist on the table. Uh, Okay, don't don't invite me. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't played for 12 years. (laughs) Cool. Yes. And wow and, and what what made you decide going into music? I think that's super cool that people do that mm-hmm. yeah but it's not so common
1: mm-hmm. So I um, have three uh, brothers and sisters so we have four in total I'm the smallest one so basically you know I have the freedom to do whatever I want <laughs> the other ones turned out fine <laughs> so I could choose basically. <laughs> And no, I mean, I, I just, uh, we all played an instrument and did some sports. So that was kind of the options that our parents gave us saying, you know, you can choose one instrument and one sport That's to cool. do, which is, I think is a good concept. And I chose the saxophone and it, I just loved it and you know it turned out really well and uh, I seem to have a bit of talent as well which helps in sticking with it and then I think around 15-16 I really got serious and practiced a lot and uh, got to practice with great teachers and it just developed and then I decided to uh, to apply for university.
0: Are you from Stuttgart? Yes Uh I'm born in Stuttgart yes. Cool. And there's also a university to it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and gosh. what brought you th- to Berlin?
1: Um, still music. So music and love, I would say. So <laughs> my, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, um, she moved to Berlin while I was uh, in, actually in Chile studying. And uh, when I came back, I also wanted to, to move and move in with her, basically. Oh, so you met her in Chile? No, we we met in school actually. So I knew her from long before. But then I did uh, an interchange and in, you know for six months, seven months in Valparaiso in Chile, studied music still saxophone in Chile actually, and then I came back and didn't want to go back you know into my parents' home, but rather thought you know moving in with my girlfriend is kind of the better option. Okay. <laughs> and then I moved to Berlin and still studied a bit in Stuttgart, but yeah,
0: mainly moved to Berlin. And how did you decide on the shift? To a corporate career or a startup yeah. scale a career in into yeah. tech from music—that's also uncommon, I would say. That is a good question, and I think um, when you look
1: look at it on the CV, it looks like a harsh break. Truth is, it was a bit softer, um, you know, change. Um, when I joined, like I loved Apple products always. Like I worked with them as a musician as well and before um, there was a lot of change in my life and and different on different levels and I decided again to go to uh, Mexico to spend some time in Latin America just you know to have a break from my life basically and before that I uh, applied at Apple to work there part-time and still work as a musician for you know like producing music but not playing so much uh, the saxophone and Yeah, when I when I came back, actually they called me in Mexico and said, "Hey, you could start um, at Apple opening a a new store, the flagship store uh, in Berlin." And which one was it? Which which Berlin store? Amsterdam. Was it the first one? It was the first one in Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. And yeah, then I decided to come back and basically the, the the rest happened within Apple. Like I went through a lot of development programs and I just loved learning and development.
0: Yeah, this is what, who you are today, right? From yes. a career perspective, a learning and development expert. I, I hope so. <laughs> I'm always <laughs> not
1: sure about the word expert, <laughs> but I try to be curious enough, you know, to... Okay, I, to, at least I know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can say this. I can't. Um, but yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm currently uh working learn, learning and development and leading a team.
0: Can we dive a, a bit into that time at Apple? Mm-hmm. Um what shaped you most there? Because I think it's seven years, wow, mm-hmm. and also a very um big name mm-hmm. with a lot of processes, I guess, and a lot of structures and principles, but also maybe some things that when there is a new store, you just need to build from scratch as well. Yes,
1: yes. yeah. Um yeah, you know, like um I think what I love most at Apple is how they look at development and perhaps in retail you wouldn't expect a company to look so deep into development, but Apple is really, um, yeah, kind of um, focused on this developing employees, no matter in which position and they have a bunch of nice programs and just principles and i guess i can't you know talk about all the details because there's also a lot of confidentiality but it's really a good experience i think for employees also to develop their skills in whatever environment they are so that's what i loved um why did i spend so much time at apple because i think it's a great company i learned a lot over the years i had very different positions i joined in sales and you know i then I developed into uh, the leadership positions and then into people management, ultimately in learning and development. And um, yeah, there was always more to learn. And that's how I try to look at my career. You know, is there more to learn for me? Can I, Is there more to give from my side? Like, can I add value in any sense? And for seven years, I had the feeling, absolutely. And then I felt, you know, it's time to move on and look into a different field.
0: And you did several training role is there as mm-hmm. a store trainer mm-hmm. what is a store trainer doing mm-hmm.
1: yeah for example when um new new products are released um there needs to be training when new services are released there needs to be training and basically organizing like this, on every
0: iphone for instance
1: uh there are also trainings of course if there are new features a new and new so functions on stuff has to be like trained software update well. and then you need to educate exactly exactly yeah i mean not for every little thing but um, you know, the, the big ones have to be trained thoroughly. And also okay. services, you yeah, know, just how you approach customers and all of these things. And that's unique at the Apple Store, I would say. Um, I, I'm not sure because it didn't work in a lot of retail uh, environments or other... No, but just when I
0: go in shopping yeah. yes. and I go to the Apple Store, ah. I feel good. Yes. <laughs> and that's I spend some money. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to hear. I think, um, yeah,
1: it's true. I think there's a lot of thought going into this. And they really, really there's enjoy.
0: always someone not available maybe because sometimes it's crowded yeah um but you always get support yeah and you get the feeling that people want to care Mm -hmm. take care of you Mm -hmm. and of course they want to you to buy a product but it doesn't also feel that you are being sold because it it's really they provide an experience that you enjoy the buying process yes yes um
1: a lot of my All friends from Apple will be happy to hear that.
0: (laughs) You (laughs) need to send the link. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah, I think so too. I think they do a really good job. Did you also
0: train on that? Yes,
1: yes, on different aspects. How do you
0: train employees or also Mm. maybe evaluate or hire? What what, what do you spot Mm. that you get to that experience? What Mm. is all included there?
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Um, I would say each
1: part plays its role. So, you know, from recruiting, from sourcing to um, looking for the right people and then giving them a good onboarding, like which is the ultimately first step in being successful. Um, And then keeping it up and thinking about, you know, there's also challenging situations in Apple stores, of course, you know, like difficult conversations and so on. So very, um, I would say, basic conversational skills and transferable skills. But you can train um, in a very different ways, and that's what I still do sometimes today, right? You have the same when you work in a scale lab and are in touch with customers, or even internally when you're in teams and discuss with your, uh, you know, team members uh, difficult topics. It's a skill that you can learn, and that's how I try to look at things as well. You know,
0: very skills-based. You
1: might have heard that <laughs> in the last two and a half years. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yes,
0: yes. And I also really like the concept you built there with the whole competency frameworks and so on. Mm-hmm did you also have that at apple um
1: kind of yeah i can't talk too much about that i guess (laughs) right now okay okay. um but uh competencies are a topic for sure
0: yeah okay but there was a concept in place and it was intertwined with how you evaluate people how you train people how you onboard people and then also how you rate performance and so on yeah um to a certain degree yes Mm -hmm. okay cool then if you cannot talk too much about it then let's jump (laughs) 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 And then, the, oh, you made a break, then, like, again, somewhere traveling or so on, or just no, resetting?
1: Actually, I just became father, I think, short oh. before um, I left Apple, or not too short before. The um, first time? For the first time, yeah, my first kid. And when I quit Apple, I basically, you know, I was still very happy and I enjoyed uh, my work there, but I felt, like I said, I wanted to be in a different environment, really small companies, and, you know, just seeing... Was a company built from scratch and how do you build all of these learning environment environments um, and i wanted to take some time to find a good company for that and not rushing into the next opportunity and i was so you know there were so many things happening in my life like being father of small uh, kid and then having this full-time job and i just wanted to have a break come down Run a lot, <laughs> meditate a bit, <laughs> and then go back to do it. Do you meditate often? Not anymore, not too much. Like from time to time, yes. Back then, I was meditating daily, like every each and every single day.
0: What did it do to you? Um, I
1: think perhaps it stems from the fact that I'm a bit more on the introverted side of things and I feel I recharge in, you know, kind of in silence. or when I read or when I run, or when I'm alone, <laughs> and this this is the ultimate um, moment to be alone with yourself is meditation I that's feel true. because you think you know um, you look at your thoughts and you look how to let, let thoughts go basically, and how to free yourself from stuff that's unnecessary basically and uh yeah i think it did a lot on you know how mentally cope with stress situations and so on like i I still feel that i built some skills there or like trained my mind in a certain sense it helped me being resilient today
0: i would really appreciate if you would subscribe to the show in case you like it yes i also had a a period of life where i meditated i think daily Mm -hmm. for two months yeah and i remember back then it was especially when i transitioned first time mm-hmm. from a individual contributor role mm-hmm. into a manager role yeah that was such hard for me because i'm i, I have a very strong edge for an action of bias yes <laughs> <laughs> and if i spotted certain things i wanted directly jump into it solve them or in <laughs> in the beginning of course you don't have to lead or work with more senior people it was also more junior staff or not maybe junior but early stage company people not so experienced maybe and then also managers like me not so experienced (laughs) oh and then a bias for action a very strong one where you always just jump in instead of okay the other person should fix that yes oh that was so hard for me that was so hard and there i really consciously started meditating and reading specific books Mm -hmm. to and that helped me change my behavior And control my temper. Yeah. And it was so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I I always thought, again, as you said, I still Mm -hmm. need to do this again. Because sometimes it just helps. Um, But you need to prioritize it, right? You make it a priority and then it does a lot with you. Yes.
1: Yeah, and I I think it's, it's very true what you're talking about is kind of impulse control. Like when, you know, this moment of having an emotion, wanting to jump in, wanting to go into a fight or whatever it might be. But having this millisecond of... You know, being able to go out of your body and thinking, you know, perhaps this is the right thing to do. Being water, my friend. Being <laughs> be water, my friend. That's <laughs> the very high level <laughs> description, which I still like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, the best. I I actually I think I meditated two years every day, um, and I only managed to because I built some kind of habit. I knew that there's a certain time, certain time in the day when I would meditate in the evening, actually. And um, it gets more tricky with kids because your schedule is harder to control. <laughs> and
0: a lot kind of out-talk requests. Exactly. <laughs> That's a beautiful
1: <laughs> way of saying I wish Jira would be there sometime. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it still helps. And I think I still benefit a lot from doing it very intensely for, for a certain time. And when, now when I meditate, like it, I'm back in the habit rather quickly, I would say. Or like,
0: I feel I'm... <laughs> There is also companies that offer Headspace Mm -hmm. um, as an employer for their employees. Yes. Do you think that's first a a smart idea or a valuable benefit? And also, do you think that companies do utilize it or Mm -hmm. could utilize it? Mm -hmm. I know for a fact, I mean, I meditated
1: with Headspace a lot and Um, I know for a fact that they have, you know, they offer this this for companies and I think a bunch of companies do it. And the thing is, I love it. But I know, you know, some other people might go boxing instead. And that's okay. (laughs) As long as it does for them what it does for me, you know, when I go meditating. For me, it's tennis. It's tennis. I show
0: you the records, right? Yes, yes, you did.
1: (laughs) And yeah, you know, that's so fair. The question is, what do you need to do? Like, do you know what you need to do in order to... uh, um be resilient and uh, kind of manage your emotions and come down and recharge and so on. And I think it's different for everyone so I'm a huge fan of having the choice and giving people the choice what they want to go for and could be had space for some, but I also acknowledge that other people might not benefit from it as much.
0: Some also do Wim Hof, you
1: know it? Wim Hof, <sighs> oh yeah, wow. sure. I thought about it, but then kind of <laughs> it felt too much.
0: <laughs> yeah, I also once tried this for a week yeah. with a friend in yeah. the office and we sat together like for, I think, 10 minutes yes. and we did this breathing exercises, And yes. sometimes an employee, it was still pre-COVID, everybody had his rooms and I had an own office back then mm. and another colleague had an also its own office and then we sat together in a room yeah. and then an employee needed something yeah. looked into it and we were like breathing <laughs> 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 <they were> like, <laughs> heavily not a good sign what the fuck are they doing <laughs> yeah. I thought they have a meeting <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I actually like this I mean
1: um, this even if you remember Taxfix we had a meditation room yes that's cool and I used it sometimes And that's actually better than an office because there are no misunderstandings what is happening there. (laughs) That's that's true. That's true. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's really good to give the opportunity and in the end see, you know, what do
0: people choose? And that's a really good approach. That's so, the whole mindfulness space, I think it's sometimes so underrated. Yeah. Because it can do so, it can unlock so many things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And also prevent so many burnouts. Yes. Injuries. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yes.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it all starts in the head, right? What whatever we decide to do, not decide to do, um, how we decide to uh, relate to topics. I mean, that's kind of the biggest thing I think I got from meditation is um, things will happen, like you know, um, a lot of stuff will happen, and you can't control it, but you can control how you relate to stuff. So if something bad is happening. You can still think about how do I relate to this? How do I want to react to this? What does it mean for me, right? Giving it a sense. And if you manage to do this, it's kind of, um, yeah, a really cool ability.
0: But then you chose TaxFix. Mm -hmm. What made you choose TaxFix?
1: Uh
0: That's a really good question. I think
1: I, um, doing the interviews, um, when I met uh, my manager my former manager marie um i just noticed that we you know it was really a good fit and we had similar views on a few topics but also trusted that we would be able to challenge each other and like it felt like you know good relationship from the beginning that was a really important factor for me number two is how tax fix talks about culture and i think you know every company has their a recruiting website with values and culture on it, and so on, and that's great. But in the end, I think there's a lot of different ways of implementing this, and how seriously you take it, and what I felt at fix from the beginning is that uh, the founders were very serious about it, and they really also tried very to authentic. It. Right? Yes, exactly. It's not something you know that you just talk about because it sounds cool, but they really thought about it deeply, and it felt uh, really embedded in the company how we, like in every process and so on, you could kind of see how it relates to values. Not every, but I mean, you know, the high level processes.
0: Which which value stuck out most to you?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, develop is one of the values and <laughs> I would lie if I would say that I didn't like it. Um, I think I thought the most about understand. I mean, what is the values? Understand, deliver, develop trust. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought I thought a lot about understand and you know about the balance that you need to strike in understanding context, understanding problems, how to frame problems, and so on, and how you can balance this with delivering stuff and what a good moment is to deliver and you know not having the complete picture and not being one hundred percent certain, but rather you know just going for it, experimenting. And I think I learned a lot about that. Um, From working at TaxFix.
0: And you joined early when they were still small, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, they grew a bit already. I think it was around 200 people. Okay. When I joined.
0: Not so small, yeah.
1: Yeah. And then they grew to... What is it
0: around five, six hundred right now? So yeah, I think, yeah. I think even seven hundred before. Yeah, something like this.
1: Yeah, it was a high growth phase for sure. When I when I had the first conversations, it was a lot around um, growth pain and you know how to how to tackle it.
0: Okay, now we need to talk about that phase because mm-hmm. I think that especially I was really um, surprised in a positive way that Taxfix at this stage of the company thought about many many things. Mm-hmm. In general yeah and also in the people function mm-hmm. and they never really had a CPO until last year if I joined yes um, I joined as an interim manager same time two weeks earlier mm-hmm. and previously it was led by Daniel Crater who mm-hmm. is one of the early employees yeah. managing director now and COO, and they fought about a lot yes and now I'm interested in how did you build out all the learning and development schemes, career development um, mm-hmm. processes and everything, because it, it, it's, it's really good.
1: Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think um, it reminds me of a book titled Bird by Bird, <laughs> which is basically step by step, right? Um, so you look uh, at one thing after the other and you obviously you try to bring people that can you know help with this and i think marie uh, played a huge part in this um like and that's obviously you know because i saw this closest i know uh what she built even before i joined so there was already some of the stuff so it's not that i had to build from zero um and i think it's also how you think about people, right? How much thought you give it. And I think TaxFix also understood early on that you need to focus on this and you you need to um, give the right resources and the right uh, thought to people topics. And sometimes it's just, do you really take it seriously or do you see it as a you know a kind of support function that has to run while the other really important things go? And I felt that it was uh, quite different. that There was a lot of thought about this.
0: And... You, you started as a learning and development partner, people development partner. What, what is somebody like this doing?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, the funny thing in learning and development is that usually titles don't tell you a lot about what people are doing because it's a relatively young field, I would say. And um, in the beginning, what I did is really, you know, um, building basic st- stuff from scratch, like uh, workshops uh, for the team, hosting workshops, building workshops, um, building a manager onboarding, for example, building a leadership development program. So things that in a, let's say, grown company on enterprises, as you assume that are there, but all of this has to be built and built according to context. It's not something that you can just replicate, take from somewhere and then, you know, press into a company. It doesn't work. Yeah. And yeah, really step by step, step thinking about what is needed and above all thinking about, what are the principles that we need to consider in order to create kind of an effective learning environment, right? Because one part of learning is, and I'm th- talking about learning and development in the workplace, which I think is a totally different thing than being in university or being in school and learning. What are the differences? <laughs> um, I mean, in university and school, usually it's only about classroom training. Meaning, there's one person uh, sharing content, sharing you know principles, ideas, approaches, whatever, and usually the other side absorbs it and you know uh, makes sense of it. And, and it's a bit repeated, saturated, right? Yeah. But like it's a lot about memorization and about learning what is already given. And I know there's also transformation in, in schools and so on, but I would say that's still the very basic approach. And in workplace learning, you have to learn, and it's obviously in school, you know, it's about a variety of topics that are hopefully important for life. So hopefully it's a good curation. Um, in, in the workplace, it's highly con- contextual. The question is, what do people need to be successful in a given uh, project role? <laughs> And this might, might change really quickly. So what is important today might not be important tomorrow. That's in our times, at least the tricky part. Um, and yeah, also you, you're you not there all day learning, right? In the sense of having time to learn. Like there's not six hours of your day learning, which happens in school, right? Yes. And so you basically need to think, how can I learn while I'm doing, while I'm on the job? which I think is a great thing to do, but it's different than how people usually think about learning. And you have to help people understand how can I do that and how can can I make it useful. And helping people understand that, I think that's uh, an important part of learning and
0: development. Do you think that the schooling system mm-hmm. and the education system is still solid or mm-hmm. good enough of what is needed in the workplace?
1: Yeah, Um Truth be told, I don't know because when I went to school, that's, uh, I don't know. And your children still too young. Back, more than 20 <laughs> years back. <so. laughs>
0: your children are also still too young, right, for yes, the school? Yes,
1: exactly. They're just coming to school. And I think there has been quite some change in the meantime. Um, I think the most important part I consider in learning at the moment is how can I not teach, but rather help people making sense of things and, you know, Uh, Finding the right resources, trainings, whatever they need. Connect them to people, right? Connect them to people, learn from others, learn from their experience, reflecting about experience versus telling them what to do, right? And that's, yeah, that's a tricky thing sometimes to do, especially when there's a lot of pressure and a lot of workload. Um, But I still think this is the right way to go. Does this happen in school? I'm not sure. I mean, of course, I learned useful stuff in school. I wouldn't say it's the way I learned today, and I would prefer to learn today. But it's it's a big question, and it would be easy to bash now and say, you know, <laughs> it's 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 a bad school system. Um, truth be told, I don't really know.
0: How to uh, the only thing what I would raise yeah. um, as as feedback to schools yeah. is why don't they, for instance, teach simple legal stuff? Yeah, um, what you really need, maybe. Yeah because or, or how to pay a pay a bill yeah <laughs> <laughs> or register in an apartment or something like this yeah. very basic stuff at some point yeah. right and of course people can read and then they can figure that out um, but I think some practical stuff is sometimes maybe missing yes I went to a very practical high school like a um, machine about mechanical engineering college yeah. high school <laughs> um, where it, it was a levels and once a week, we were in the in a factory mm-hmm. building stuff. Yes, I, I think it was cool, but it was also not so relevant because yeah. I, m- I moved to a very different field. Yeah. but there you got a lot of um, concepts and principles you yeah. learned in physics or in other um, subjects, yes. and then you applied them. Yes, that was really nice because sometimes I then understood in the factory area, oh, this is what we just learned. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It was really cool. Yes, yes. And uh, it helped me from um, translate abstract f- abstract thinking, thinking yes. into concrete actions. Wh- what does it mean and how can I imagine it? Yes. And... I'm way, 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 way better in just practical stuff than in all this theoretical stuff. I I just don't like it. I'm too impatient as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting to hear. Um, I think that's such a good example of, you know, how we put things into practice. And that's, I would say, perhaps one of the most, uh, yeah, the biggest misunderstandings in learning that, you know, once you know about something that you're able to do it. So... The example would be if I read a book about something, um, I know about it and the assumption very often is that I can do it, right? I know a lot of people who've uh, read about coaching in a book and I know very few people who are really good coaches in real life. Um, Actually, I know a bunch, but (laughs) I think, uh, you know, and this is where a lot of uh, things stem from like, you know, being overconfident or, you know, even being reluctant to jumping into things because you're not super sure how to do it. And what I would do is what I would suggest is like really um the moment you acquire knowledge, like finding a way to apply it somehow. Because it will be different in real life than it was in the book, uh in, in a training or whatever it was where you learned about it.
0: What do you think does also what role does confidence play in learning?
1: Mm-hmm. Um yeah, a big one for sure. I mean it I think I would perhaps not say confidence, because confidence for sure is important. But if you have the right environment that is psychologically safe, then people will be con- more confident by by default. So building this environment where you you know you tell people they can try stuff out, they can learn from failure, mm-hmm. and so on, will help a lot in in making people more confident, let's say, because you, you get confident by doing right and you get good feedback or, you know, recognition. And then the next time you will jump in.
0: And how do you build a workplace that allows learning and development where people have confidence in that?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, uh, a tax fix, I saw a lot of great examples of that by mentioning it, by speaking about it, by saying it is okay to try things out and it's okay to fail as long as you learn from it. And as long as you talk about the different types of failure, there's kind of unnecessary failure, right? If you, when you just not do something that you know how to do and that needs to get done, (laughs) like this is not failure in a sense that would be helpful. But um, experimental uh, failure is of course good because you try something out and you learn from how it works, how it doesn't work. And then you can do something different the next time. And by speaking about it, and I heard that a lot, you know, like um, announcing it and saying, hey, be bold, try it out and then, I mean, most importantly, the question is how do you react then to it when it really happens? Like, it's easy to say, but, you know, once something goes wrong, the question is how does leadership respond and how, you know, do peers respond? And if the the reaction is um,
0: good and fair, then people will do it again. It's as simple. I think sometimes that is so, as you describe it, simple, Mm -hmm. but in reality not so easy to implement, Mm -hmm. especially when you work on cross-functional projects and you would need to have, for instance, several learnings or different behaviors from several departments or different roles, like an engineer, a product manager, uh, maybe a recruiter Mm. and someone from sales and support, they need to work on something common Yes. and then it fails. Mm. And then it's obvious that there, that the problem why it fails or failed is not so straightforward it's not one person or one thing that happened wrong it's usually a bunch of things and there's also a prehistory of it right of course um do you also see that as part of learning Mm -hmm. and development or just of part of the culture that companies or individuals should also create let's say post-mortems or debriefs yeah by default, and say, "Hey, we need to learn from it," or is this something unique? Yes. How would you rate that? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I, w- I would say there's no super clear line, but I, for sure, there you know um, is something around. I mean, when you look into how product teams work and so on, they have really good thinking around this. Engineers, of course. Um, when they have the retros and so on. And of course, that's learning. I mean, everything is learning, right? In the end, we all learn all the time. There's no way we don't learn. The question is just how fast, how much, what do we learn? Um, Is it relevant to what we do? All of these questions. Um, And I would think about it on two levels. One level is individually. So the question would be, you know, there are 10 people in a cross-functional team. Um, So everybody can look at their actions and what they did and how it turned out. And that's personal learning for me, which I think should happen all the time. Um, and then of course it's more complex to look at it in the group and it's, yeah. I mean, there are different ways to go about this, but I think having retros, having, um, events where you reflect about what went well and what didn't, it needs a setup basically. And honestly, it's like uh, a science for itself, how to set this up in the right way. Uh, but I think there's always
0: overlaps with, with learning and the question is how we define learning and development. And how, how would you now looking back build a learning and development strategy for an organization
1: mm-hmm. yeah um small question that's what i'm doing at the moment <laughs> for superset i mean um i think traditionally it would be perhaps a bit too much to tell, you know, about whole learning and development strategies, but I can talk about it at high level. I think traditionally the approach to learning and development very often has been that it is very limited in, in the scope, right? So it's only about um, a certain training or about educating, about a process, something like this, versus thinking about it as something that's happening everywhere all the time. And that's how I love to think about it. And if you look at it this way, the question is, there are many implications. One question would be, if it happens everywhere, how do I measure success in the end, right? So I need different success measurements in different areas that tell me, am I doing well or I'm not doing well? So is it effective what I'm doing? Then the second thing is, how can I, like in very busy environments, and I'm taking two examples that wouldn't be super traditionally in L&D, how can I you know, when I build great stuff, great program or great approaches, how do I share them? How do I market them internally? How do I help people jumping on the offer and really doing it and, you know, using it because that's what I've seen as well. A lot is there's not a lot of engagement in, in learning activities. And it's a shame because very often it's not about the quality of the offer, but rather about do people rate it as high as in priority that they have, um, you know, and the deliverables or, you know, the things that they need to do in the end. So thinking about how do I announce this? How do I um, create engagement is something really important. Um, How do I create accountability is a really important topic. Um, How does it rank in the organization? How do leaders look at this? In the end, you know, if if a manager sits in a conversation with their employee and they ask, should I either do this or go learn? (laughs) you know there's different answers to this and i acknowledge you know sometimes it's just about getting things done but if you never create the space for learning people will not grow and people will not learn from what they do and that's a danger to to the organization of course and that's kind of the you know the mid level i see you know measurement is one of the starting points that's really important then and
0: how do you measure progress or outcomes from learning and development
1: yeah um That's perhaps the most discussed topic in the learning and development community right now. And I love this topic. And I would say there's different uh, approaches to this. One very traditional approach is uh, called Kirkpatrick's model, which is about you have a training. You ask people after the training, hey, was the knowledge relevant? Did you like the training? Um, Then two months afterwards, you send out a survey, say, did you see any behavior change? Um, you ask other people like did Thomas do something differently right now did he coach you more you know things like these after coaching program and then ultimately you try to find measurements for um, ROI in the end right so because you coached more people were able to solve more problems which helped us developing new products more quickly whatever it might be that's very abstract the challenge is in the last field that I say, how do I measure return of investment in the end? And that's super hard to do. My best approach at the moment is um, identify KPIs and what, what I would call um, observable features of, an, of a successful outcome. So the question is, when somebody approaches you with a learning project, my first question would be, what is the business impact you want to generate with this, right? Um, you're thinking about coaching, Talking a lot about coaching today. There's other examples as well. Um, you want to help your leader being better coaches, but why? You know, what kind of impact does it generate in the end? What is the ideal outcome? And then there are different answers to this. Um, I want employees to feel better, being more engaged, so I can look at engagement numbers. Or the second uh, example that I just mentioned. I need to solve problems more quickly. And I believe if I coach people and I, if I use different perspectives from different people versus leaders telling how to get it done, then I will s- solve more problems in a short amount of time. It could be another me- measurement. And, you know, of course, there's areas where this is easier saying um, if you want to generate more sales and you train people in pitching uh, products then it's quite easy to measure, like, did they sell more afterwards, right? There's a really hard KPI. Um, mm. It can be really tough for leaders, for example, right? How do you measure leadership effectiveness? Mm. And there's also answers, but uh, you have to look a bit closer. But above all, I think it's important to ask yourself the question, what is the impact that I'm hoping for? Because I feel a lot of people have more of a reflex, like, you know, we need this kind of leadership development program without answering the question first, what is the ideal outcome of it? And once you start that way, like you have very interesting discussions and there's no easy answers. And I've seen a lot of top leaders as well not having fantastic answers to this, which is okay, but we need to have the discussion.
0: Yes. How would you measure the effectiveness of a leader? Mm-hmm. I would
1: say there's different ways to look at this. What does effectiveness mean? I would ask. And then could be having a really engaged team. So to increase uh, employee Retention to increase, you know, um, wellness, basically. Um, The the other one could be, you know, managing for performance. So basically, how do you set high standards? Uh, How do you help people reach those high standards without burning themselves? Mm -hmm. And it depends a bit, I would say, on the, you know... In the end, I would say it's a mixture of all of these, but it depends a bit on the company as well. Where do people yes. stand right now? And perhaps you have a fantastic high-performance culture in the sense of, you know, really high levels, but you're not taking care of people. Uh, elbows out and deliver. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, might be. <laughs> yeah, might yeah, that, be. That exists, yeah. Um, so I would say the answer depends, right? And there's always different things you... I mean, leadership in itself is also... We could talk one hour about what leadership is. (laughs) There would be
0: no problem. Yes. And um, what what do you think does the first manager Mm -hmm. play as a role in your further career?
1: Mm -hmm. You mean the first manager that you have from somebody starting...
0: Where you learn the basics, basically.
1: Yeah. If I look back at it, I think...
0: Um I, I
1: still know a lot of examples, moments when I spoke to uh, um, one of my leaders and I had these aha moments like, oh dear, <laughs> that's what I need to do, or this is how I can look at it differently. And what I would say as well, it's not always the direct leader that you have, but you know, somebody that leads in a certain field or that you relate to, could even be a peer or a mentor or whatever it might be. Um, but I think it's, it has a huge impact on, on your journey. And whenever I was successful, I had great leaders. That's what I can say for sure. (laughs) Um, Sometimes what I did when I felt, you know, I perhaps didn't have the leadership that I was looking for. I would look for other people to kind of jump in and substitute or just ask them, you know, can you mentor me on this? Can you help me here? Um, But I think it's a huge impact. And obviously, you know, how if you think about weekly one on this this is the strongest relationship that you can have in business, basically. And yeah, huge impact, I would say.
0: Yeah. I had a very impactful um, first leader, Christoph. Um, Shout out to Christoph. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think he was more somebody, not a a good manager, very organized. Mm -hmm. But also he looked really into the profiles Mm -hmm. of people. Also, I hired a lot with him together. Yes. And also he ever looked at People's development and companies' development in stages, Mm -hmm. and also what does a team need to be complementary, and what does it need a team um, need in terms of spikes, Mm -hmm. not just from skills, but also from personalities. Yes. And um, that was so insightful, and I learned so many things about myself, and I got also pushed through a lot. Yeah, (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) Um, and it was also a five years journey, yeah? yeah. So five years, same leader. Wow, that's yeah. really intense. That's and b- both people, super fast, always had to develop, yeah. yeah. And this journey was super insightful, and I was so grateful, and still am gra- so grateful for all the experiences there yes. and the learnings I got because it's so valuable if somebody really wants to tackle that together with you yeah. and really wants to invest time in you yes. um, and also get something out of it, of course, right? Yeah. But it was it was such a strong learning experience and the most shaping, I would say, phase was um, when we looked a lot into strategy um, consultancies, for instance, like the McKinsey's out there, yeah. on how they solve problems. Yeah. Because we could not afford to hire a McKinsey consultant, but yeah. we of course got contact with them, and yes. some did us some favors, and some we interviewed, and then we tried to learn everything from it, and just the way of thinking. Yeah, this was, I think, the most mind blowing um, aspect in terms of learning experience I had yes. on how to really analyze certain situations, mm-hmm. problems in a in a very. Mm-hmm standardized structured way yeah. that you kind of can solve every problem yeah the only thing you need to do is understand the problem yeah <laughs> and that for me that was really like we did some learning and development we didn't call it like that but journeys like is intense like every saturday yes we sat together in the office yeah. and did retros with a small team to yeah. say okay what, what 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 happened there what books could we read into yeah and how do we interpret it wow yeah time-consuming yeah this is why we did it on saturdays and it was also a bit volunteering right um but if you do this with intense work in parallel and then also really zoom out yes but from different functions and different levels yeah oh my god
1: yeah yeah i can imagine it sounds great
0: why can't companies do this during work time
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean i could ask this question back (laughs) but i think um
0: yeah, Now we were just too busy, but yeah. I I think um, this is what, what you yeah. were also describing by not just always delivering exactly. and doing this in parallel, wow, yeah. mind-blowing. And also for every, especially young leader, I would say, or young person that just gets started, yes. sometimes I, I think that they are too much in a bubble and yeah. stuck with the task instead of zooming out again yes. and say, okay, that's now done yes let's move move ahead let's do something different
1: yes yeah and you can help people doing that by having moments of reflection or you know communities of practice or whatever it might be but yet basically connecting them and creating space to exchange on that and uh, that's also what i tried to to establish in, in some moments but yeah i mean the question is of course how much time do you give for this and how which value, do, do you yes. Give, which yes. value to yes yes
0: and then you you moved to um, SuperSide now.
1: Yes, yeah, just four weeks ago, actually.
0: What is Superside doing? Uh, SuperSight
1: is basically offering what they call a creative as a service. Um, so you can um, basically ask for creative work. It's a subscription model and companies can basically get design assets from design assets to really extensive design strategies um, to whole campaigns built by Supersight. Um, And it's really high uh, qualitative design work because Supersight has like um, fantastic designers, like a huge team of fantastic designers. And they basically can staff different teams just for your purpose in the end. So, um, you know, the companies might approach them and say, "Hey." Um, we need to build this kind of campaign or we need a more strategic um, consultancy here uh, regarding a certain project and then suppose I can staff a team, build all of this creative uh, products, uh, assets and also look at the bigger picture and think about how can you make this successful.
0: And the company also grew quite recently, right? We are 760 employees. Yes. And remote only. Remote only,
1: exactly. Native remote company, yeah.
0: How is the communication ways internally and all the documentation different, for instance, to TaxFix, because TaxFix is more hybrid? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, it's different. I mean, you know what? I saw a bunch of differences and it's just the beginning. Um, but one thing is you need a place to capture um, processes, all information that's important for people to get basically async so you cannot communicate a lot in sync because uh in Superside we have i think people in 60 countries or even more in the meantime so there's there's you know a lot of different time zones there's just no way to to get everyone together like every week or you know all the time Um, there's still places when you know we come together to meet but Um, In the end, that's not a concept that works. So you need to have really good documentation. You need to write it down. Um, You need to understand what you need to capture where and, and, you know, in which format that makes sense to everyone. And I think they did a great job in in doing this. And, you know, I think the company is built on this idea of being remote, which I think um, makes it easier sometimes versus being a company that, that exists in an office and then moves into to a remote model or hybrid model because the, the very foundation is really important, I find. Also, how you think about you know, creating community, how to create connection, how to – honestly, I had to download programs to see time zones on a scale because I don't know when to reach people and how to find the time to, to meet three people at the same time. And it's just very basic stuff as well that you need to help employees understand.
0: And do you think that this will be a different challenge for you in your role in a remote environment versus a non-remote?
1: Yeah, for sure. 100 percent. Because, you know, if you think about um, async learning a lot, there's a lot of implications. It's it's not as easy to bring people together very often. It's still possible. Um I learned like my day looks like things are more happening in the afternoon right now because this is the time when the world meets kind of (laughs) during the day. But um, yeah, that's one of the reasons I joined because I think it's such an interesting challenge and it's also the challenge of the future, right? How do you make async learning happen and contextual learning still um, while not making it only reading
0: Basically, or you know, oh, I hate like, when somebody sends me an ocean pages that read it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean they're very long ocean pages out there. <laughs> that's true, and still it's so useful when you need it and you know how to find it. You know, the moment you need it, like that's that's the most important stuff I think um, when to find things that really help you. I feel relevance in general is something really important. Like you know, the the stuff that I'm reading right now is really relevant to me. The stuff that I need to learn right now is it relevant to me, or is it just because somebody else thinks it's relevant?
0: That's super interesting. So, are you excited about the new turn um, challenge? If I'm excited. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> no, for sure. It's a great starts, and you know, not too much I can tell right now, just because I'm just four weeks in. But um, I found a fantastic team, um, very kind uh, people in general, and I think also, yeah, I, you know, the question I always ask myself is. I think i mentioned it in the beginning what can i learn from this journey what can i help others understand perhaps and um i feel you know both of these questions i can answer with a lot of things that make me
0: excited nice um what or who else i don't know but you know mm-hmm. should i have on the show
1: <laughs> oh wow, that's that's a live question. I that's a live question. Yeah, yeah, that's a live question. Um, <laughs> who would be interesting to interview? I think ultimately, I um, I learned a lot from Eva, and I don't know
0: if you had her on the podcast. Yes, maybe. next week. Okay, and I know her.
1: <laughs> ah, somebody that you don't know. Yeah, you yeah, said, I'm... ah, okay, oh, that's tricky. <laughs> yeah, we've yeah. been working together for okay. a long
0: time. Um, we, I mean, I, we, yeah. We can also follow up on that, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> I think I will. <laughs> Sorry, no. No, all no good. good reaction. All good. Yeah, then thank you for being my guest.
1: Thank you so much, Thomas.